Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This classic is a bit of an historical mystery today, fellow conspiracy realists. We're looking at a strange group of families and individuals Uh, these communities that were in France and Spain for many, many centuries. But they weren't like the rest of their neighbors, for one reason or another, lost to history. They were treated as uh, less than. They were like the untouchables. Uh, They were part of a brutal, widely accepted system of discrimination. In this classic episode, we try to figure out why. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. We are joined in spirit by our super producer, uh, Noel, the Madman Brown, who uh, will be returning. His uh, absence will we make uh, the heart grow fonder, right? Certainly. It will for me. Yeah. And um, they call me Ben. You are you. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Again, here, closer and closer to the end of 2016. Reminds me of that Yates poem, Matt. Uh, what rough beast is our come at last slouches toward Bethlehem? Do you yeah, remember that? I do remember that. The second coming, I believe it's called. Yeah, I am certainly ready for 2016 to be over, though I do dread a bit of 
what the next may uh, bring. <laughs> what will happen in 2017? Yeah. yeah, uh, that's the, um, that's the matter of perspective, right? The most frightening thing, uh, that people can think about when we look at the future and turns of events is, uh, what if people in 2050 look back on this as the good old days? Oh, I was going to say they will definitely, <laughs> they but you know, <laughs> well, the world is big. It depends yeah. on where you live. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, even perhaps more importantly, what your position in a given society has been. And that's something we're exploring today. Much of human history has been a study in unequal rights, either, uh, by, uh, this constant conflict, right? Either by groups striving for better representation or other groups fighting to maintain a system of oppression that benefits them. You know, I'm not a big believer in hierarchies. I think they're garbage. I think they're for the birds, not even the cool birds, like the crappy birds, like, uh, seagulls, right? Yeah. That- I haven't seen many crow hierarchies maybe there are some I oh there are them. there are oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there are um but you're absolutely right i i don't like these things hierarchies in general i understand why they're necessary for some t- some people but uh philosophically and historically they're used to oppress the many for the benefit of the few that is what happens with hierarchies whether you're talking about the tribal system uh, in the UK, which continues to exist, of course, uh, I guess people feel better about it when we call it an aristocracy, or whether you're talking about continued cultural repression in other countries, uh, it, it all boils down to the same thing. And it's a source of uh, massive conflict. And these conflicts have occurred, the cycle of conflict rather has occurred multiple times. In the U.S., for example, we have the struggle for civil rights. That was, again, a group of people who were benefiting from a system of oppression versus a group of people who were, uh, who were losing out mm-hmm. because of that same system. And the reasoning behind these uh, these oppressive systems are based on so many different things. There's so many different reasons. I know it sounds like I just picked on the United Kingdom and I just picked on the United States, but these are just two examples. Like uh, there are multiple kinds of oppression. Yeah. You can go to gender discrimination where you're looking at male and female and one is treated differently. Uh, over the course of history, it's largely fallen on the females who have been oppressed in this way. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget. Women in the United States could not vote, yeah. couldn't vote for president, couldn't vote for anything just a few decades ago. It hasn't been that long. Uh, yeah, right. And as we record this, uh, this country and uh, many other countries in the West are in the grips of a new kind of gender discrimination with uh, people who are trans. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the idea that. um a person who identifies as female, but was biologically identified as a male at the time of their birth, uh, is that that's becoming a huge legal issue here in the U.S. in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are other things too, right? There's the uh, untouchable caste of India, and these folks have um, have endured. Horrific discrimination mm-hmm. and, and the government, of course, has taken steps to try to mitigate this situation. But 
the caste system of India is not something that's going to be swept away by a convenient law. You know what I mean? It's it's too yeah. deep set. Then you have various systems of slavery, everything uh, from chattel slavery, like in the United States, for example, uh, back in the day, wage slavery, bondage labor, mandatory minimums, and uh, and prison labor. I mean, it's a version of it. It's yeah. not outright slavery. But oh, wage slavery. Yeah. That might have to be its own episode. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that. We should uh, definitely have Nolan for that one. Does anybody want to write to us and, and let us know your opinion of wage slavery? Actually, this is a sidebar. This is a sidebar. Okay, here. okay. Um, could I ask what your first job was? My first job was working poolside as a server at the Piedmont Driving Club. Fancy. And then I got an internship here. So I've got – I had two. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Um, without going too deep into my past, cause I don't usually say that sort of stuff. My first legal job was at a, uh, at, at a grocery store. Nice. And I tried eventually I tried Matt to get fired. I did numerous things. They just wouldn't fire me because the other people at the grocery store were that bad. Wow. And so eventually I just stopped going. Man, you weren't worried about the stigma of being fired from one job? No. I went ahead and <laughs> told them that I was just going to stop showing up because I'm getting another job. And I got a different job and then just stopped going. That was the only way because I had said I'll quit before mm -hmm. and they would call with a with a follow-up thing, but it was just very strange. This is a surreal situation. Sure. You know? I, I feel like you're opening up more than I've heard you open up in a while, so I want to keep going, but I know we have to continue uh, with I'm the I'm setting it up because, okay, let's – you were a servant. I was a grocer. Those are types of occupations, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I was still a servant, so. Aren't uh, we all? <laughs> well, most of us. Uh, there's also ethnic or so-called racial discrimination. That is when you hear about mm -hmm. minorities being uh, being persecuted or when you hear about – Groups that maybe to an outsider seem pretty much identical. Sure. Right. When you hear about these groups having bitter, bitter rivalries, uh, one famous situation in Europe, of course, is the Roma, uh, who have, uh, met numerous types of prejudice and discrimination and stereotyping. And have, in many cases, never fully assimilated into the local culture of wherever they are. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a lot of that has to do with cultural differences and clashing mm -hmm. with whichever power is seen as the norm or whichever group is seen as the norm in an area. And then there's cultural discrimination, right? Yeah. Uh, one big example of this would be World War II era Japan's nationalistic superiority complex over China and uh, the puppet state of Manchuria that they mm -hmm. built. They did unspeakable things. Uh, and they did it because they thought the other people weren't like really human. Yeah, that's a common theme. That's a common theme. And then there's religious discrimination too, right? Yes, and for examples of this, you can look to Catholic persecution of Jewish peoples, 
uh, Protestants, native peoples in colonized countries. Mm-hmm. And you can also see this in the various forms of discrimination practiced between uh, Islamic and Jewish cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's another aspect to this, however. And this is the, the strangest thing, ladies and gentlemen. In some cases, societies have no concrete reasoning behind a discriminatory practice. None. Yeah. I wanted to say that I feel that a lot of times there's not that much of a concrete basis for a lot of these discriminatory practices. But these in particular that we're about to look at just feels like why? So, yeah, for instance, the uh, Baruchman of Japan were historically treated in a manner very similar to the Dalit or untouchables in India, despite the fact that they are not just not just visually identical, but genetically identical to mainstream Japanese population. And they are practicing Buddhists and they are not in almost any other way distinguishable from the rest of Japan. We're talking about discrimination based on name or neighborhood. But today, ladies and gentlemen, yes, there is a point to our brief exploration. Uh, Today, we're looking at another, perhaps lesser known example of a similarly mysterious case of persecution. It's a group of people known as the Kago, also Capo, Ago, Gahet, or Christia, which stands for Christian. Right. So who are these people? What's going on? Why have most of the world's population never, ever heard of them? We will tell you after a brief word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just 20 $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. 
But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. So we're looking at this group called the Kago. Now, historical records have proven that for centuries, communities in western France and northern Spain practiced brutal, systematic discrimination against this group of people. The there there was a system that was well established, and it was oddly uniform throughout much of France. Right, because this is unusual. Because at this time, people weren't uh, communicating as easily as people communicate mm-hmm. today, which means that there's a lot of drift or creep in local customs, and this was also one of the reasons why. Heresy was such a big concern for the Catholic Church. Let's say there's a church that's kind of isolated. It's out in the Alps or something. Nobody's seen these people for 15, 20 years. They're getting some weird ideas and changing stuff around. Doing some weird things. Right. So this happened. This happened constantly. And the that is uh one of the reasons why the persecution of uh the persecution of Cago in France and in that area of Spain is fascinating. Now, of course, it evolves over time, but it seemed to have a very oddly specific uh, mm-hmm. system to, you know, to this persecution. And the Cago were Catholic. They yes. were, they were just as Catholic as their neighbors who were not Cago, but they were only reluctantly allowed into the auspices of the church. Let's talk about some of the community rules applying to these people. Uh, they could not take communion the same way as, I guess, the more legitimate mm-hmm. people of their community. They had to enter and sit in separate parts of the church, and they were also buried in separate graveyards. And when it came to the church, there are several instances of uh, churches that had entrances just in the back, you know, smaller doors right. that appear to be that's what they were for. Some of them have signs that even have the word Kago or one of these other names mm-hmm. referred to them as it. Mm-hmm. But there were also a few that had 
uh, strange entrances where you had to climb up a ladder in order to get into another ladder system inside the church. Fascinating the lengths that some of these churches went to to separate this right. group of people from the rest of their flock. Because they were seen somehow as tainted, yeah. dirty. Yeah. Uh, they were also not allowed to walk barefoot, which gave rise to rumors that their feet were webbed. And in some places, they were required to wear a badge that was occasionally in the shape of a goose's foot. Yeah, and it was red. Yeah. Just a red badge that you had to wear. Sounds, red-footed. I was going to say, uh, again, sounds familiar to historical references. Oh, right. Insert yes. here. Right. Um, oh, and also they were only allowed to make purchases in town on Mondays. This is according to an 1848 yes. uh, account. Yeah. So this already sounds weird, but it goes on. They were restricted to certain trades, particularly carpentry. Uh, this led to situations in which uh, uh, Kago may end up building the very same church mm-hmm. that's going to persecute them and their family later. Talk about a head trip, huh? Yeah, a little bit. And we're, uh, by the way, one of the great resources we got for this was uh, from an author named Daniel Hawkins who wrote a paper called Chimeras That Degrade Humanity, The Cago and Discrimination. So we uh, we found some other things here. I, I want to read a small selection from this paper. Restrictive legislation concerning Cago appeared many times after 1288, which is when we see more detailed municipal records. Mm-hmm. While details differed, prohibitions typically expressed similar concerns. They required that Kago were segregated in their living quarters, occupations, and day-to-day interactions. They were forbidden from marrying non-Kago. They could not enter taverns, hold cabarets, use public fountains, sell food or wine, touch food in the market, work with livestock, or enter a mill. They were not allowed to carry arms other than professional tools. And this goes to the example we talked about earlier. There was a severe and brutal punishment for transgressors. So if we go back with our time-traveling hypothetical French Matt Frederick, which, by the way, I'm liking this character. Okay. I see him in a beret, but I don't know if that's historically accurate. I, I don't think so, but well, okay. let's go with it. What about a, what about a cassock? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So if we go back to that time where, where our, um, oh, Matt, what's your French name? Uh, Pierre? Pierre. Okay. All right. Pierre Frederick. Uh, when Pierre Frederick is walking by, uh, he may and sees that hand being nailed to the door. He may well have not said a word. If he was familiar with the discrimination against Kago, because we know it's happened several times. One Kago merchant was punished for touching the main baptismal font uh, by having his hand severed from his arm and nailed to a door. I don't think it was the door of the church, but that would be that seems like that would be a bad idea. Nail a severed arm to the place where everybody's going to enter. Just the hand. The hand. Sure. (laughs) Just the hand. Uh, There was another account of a man who allegedly. Uh, grew food on his land and farmed it. And he had metal spikes uh, pushed through his feet as punishment. Wow. That's, that's very, 
It's very odd, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's disturbing. Again, when you consider that these people, although you might have heard them described as swarthy at some point, mm-hmm. uh, I also read something where they were described as being fair skinned. Yeah, there are widely differing accounts of how, what a Kelgo looks like. Right. Uh, rumors about them were wide ranging, rampant stuff. Uh, we can just go down the list, right? Oh, sure, yeah. They they were viewed as heretics, like we said, despite their regular attendance to church. Despite being Catholics, they were viewed as not being Catholic. Yes. <laughs> they were accused of being lepers, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was there were rumors about them holding secret meetings for nefarious unknown purposes. Yeah. A- again, we see this throughout history. Like, what are they meeting in secret about? Are they actually meeting in secret, dude, or are you are you just a little paranoid? Anyway, uh, they're uh, probably saying, "Hey, how, uh, does everybody have their hands?" Yeah. How? What are strategies we can use to not be as persecuted? Yeah, we're pro hand. Uh, yeah, they're also accused of being descendants of uh, Gehazi. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but this was the wicked servant of the prophet Elisha, and. You know, being the children of this person, it was believed that they were all cursed with the curse that was placed on Gehazi. Oh, that's that's similar to the old uh, Latter-day Saint policy of discrimination against uh, against darker skinned people. Mm. Right. Uh, Yeah. Gehazi uh, is a figure found in the Book of Kings. Yes. He was in a position of power, but he was corrupt. Uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem about him, but I can't remember exactly what it was uh yeah so this some this was something that was common uh in this era of christianity which was to find a biblical basis however tenuous to rationalize mistreatment of an individual so it's a long book you read closely enough and think creatively enough, you're bound to find something. And I want to note here, uh, so his big sin was avarice, right? He was stealing stuff. He was racking up change in his master's names. Tricking uh, people, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he was guilty of duplicity and dishonesty. So Elisha, the prophet, denounced him and passed upon him the terrible doom. And this is a quote from Kings that leprosy of Naaman would cleave to him and his descendants forever. Yep. So that's they, where you pull some, you know, mm-hmm. someone in the church mm-hmm. uh, believing that to be true. And hey, here's someone I can apply that to. But. But this curse came with uh, at least some allegations of dark powers. Isn't that right? Yeah, there are there are allegations that they were sorcerers. Uh, it was believed that they could bewitch cattle, which sounds a little more fun than it probably should to me. It sounds like the, it, you know, of course these are largely agricultural communities, mm-hmm. but right now it sounds like one of the most useless superpowers ever. Bewitching whether you're cattle. whether you're uh, <laughs> a uh, a villain or a hero, you're pretty much restricted. You have to live around livestock for it to even matter. Yeah. The I'm, cattle witcher is not going to be a threat in New York City. Gosh, that's a great character, though. <laughs> the cattle witcher. The cattle witcher. 
on the next episode of The Cattle Witcher. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it was also believed that perhaps they had the power of the evil eye, where if they stared at your child long enough, or anyone really, mm-hmm. they can cause terrible things to happen to them. They could curse with a glance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and this, this ties into some of the more wide ranging accusations of paranormal ability that occur with this sort of persecution. Uh, you'll also hear stuff about being able to poison wells mm-hmm. or being able to, you know, when they're talking about bewitching cattle, they're talking about the cattle falling ill or perhaps miscarrying mm-hmm. during birth and stuff like that. Well, yeah, that's why they weren't allowed to touch food. It was, it was believed that any food that they touched, no matter at what stage, that's why you can't farm, it will rot immediately, it will be soiled immediately. You cannot eat or, you know, do anything with edible objects that are touched by these kago. That's the belief. Cattle witchers. <laughs> I'm stuck on it now. Cattle okay. witchers. Uh, yeah. So you also find that in the real estate, right? You find evidence mm-hmm. of this belief in the real estate. Oh yeah. With these powers. That's why a lot of times you would see their, their residences, the areas where they lived had to be separated by some body of water, a stream of water, mm-hmm. just enough to where those mystical powers can't carry over because their beliefs about how magic operates. Today, you're not going to hear much about the Kago. No. Fa- families that discover this heritage in the modern day often will hide it in fear of continuing low-level discrimination against their spouses or their children. So very, 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 very few come forward in the modern day and the population itself was always relatively small in comparison to you know the rest of france and spain uh now it seems set to fade into nothingness but there's still so many unanswered questions matt who are these people why did they become the repressed class and and maybe most importantly where did they come from These are all questions we're going to look at right after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. 
thought they were going to kill me. So I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. No one really knows. No one knows for certain where the could go originate. Yeah. But there are some theories. There are many, 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 many theories. Uh, but... Uh, they are of a varying plausibility, and they are all somewhat fascinating, I would say. For instance, were they the descendants of Moorish soldiers who, for instance, during the uh, Muslim conquest of Spain or areas of Spain, uh, simply migrated up and out into France? It's a possibility. Yeah. Did they begin as a guild of skilled medieval woodworkers with their persecution rising as a form of commercial rivalry that eventually got solidified into tradition? So people didn't know why these dudes mm-hmm. were dirty, but they knew that their parents thought that. What if they were Moorish medieval woodworkers? Mm-hmm. And, and so this, yeah, this ties back into the question that I earlier asked you, Matt, about your first occupation. Mm-hmm. Because the strange thing is that if we lived in a different society or we lived in a, even a different time period, we would overwhelmingly be likely to continue the work that our parents did mm-hmm. uh, as even a guild or caste or something. So, because we would be apprentices, mm-hmm. hopefully, if we were lucky right. and talented. So, if your father's a cobbler, you're a cobbler. If your uh, father is a, 
An accountant. Yeah, then you're an accountant. If your father's a military officer, you follow the same thing. If your father's a cattle witcher, um, then you are also... (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. You're also a cattle witcher. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm not in any way condoning the bewitchment of <laughs> livestock, of cattle. They've got it tough enough, right? I, however, I am uh, 100% bewitch all the cattle that you possibly can, and then tell me how you did it. Write to us. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Yes. Yes, please uh, let Matt, no, the source of your dark bovine related powers. Uh, so the thing that we see here that's strange is that when people had less social mobility, when your parents or your grandparents' occupations would largely determine your own occupation, we also see a uh, society where certain occupations are considered more valuable than others, or maybe a better way to say it is certain occupations are seen as much less valuable. For instance, executioners had some of the same uh, laws against their behavior as did Cagot in, and this was in Germany, perhaps an executioner can't go to the bar, can't touch food or drink around people uh, because the executioner, like his father before him, makes a living by killing people. Yeah. And that's seen as, you know, morally reprehensible, but necessary for society. And we see this in some other cultures, for instance, uh, working with hides or disposing of human waste. Yeah. Like the untouchables, right? That would be, that would be a lower caste job. So, and a lot of it yeah. seems to arise from uh, almost it's a it's a combination of lack of scientific understanding of mm-hmm. how some of it works, a lack of technology uh, for cleaning, like uh, and being able to cleanse oneself after working a job such as killing people or you know taking the hides off of animals. Sure. You know, this perception of unclean. I mean, it's rife with disease. This is before germ theory. And it's true that it is like it actually is. So the not having the technology also creates that system where somebody in the historical record experienced, you know, drinking with the executioner who happened to kill somebody who had a terrible disease. And boom. Next thing you know. Yeah. I mean. Kuru. No, I'm kidding. Well, no, but. I can, I mean, that's just how it happened. It's just the only way that it happens. Right. And it's something that people accept. And also, of course, I'm just saying kuru because I like the word. The only way that somebody can get kuru is by consuming, uh, brains, human brains. brains. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which will give you those prions, um, which are bad news. Uh, speaking of bad news, Matt. Yes. I just realized something. If your avatar in the Middle Ages there in the Pierre, mm -hmm, okay, Pierre (laughs) in the 1300s, right? Yes. Uh, If if he's wearing a cassock, it makes your situation even worse. No, because you're probably the priest or (sighs) a priest. Oh, okay. Oh, Pierre, I have a lot to get ready for. There's a mass later. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want him to get your, you don't want to, you maybe even want to help the guy, but you're like, I'm not getting that filthy cago blood on my cassock. 
to use my shoe to open the door. <laughs> use my shoe to open the door. Quick, everyone, check the cattle. Uh, so there's this other idea that they were descendants of earlier uh, cultural groups and that this somehow made them not worthy of trust. Mm-hmm. Or made them tainted, made them somehow other, made them threatening to a degree. And one would be that, that they were descendants of the Goths. The Kago first appear in records as early as the 10th century, but they became more prominent from the 13th century on. And they were in both sides of the Western Pyrenees. Uh, they lived in these small, poor, segregated communities on the periphery of these, uh, villages and towns. So they've been around for so long that it's easily, easily understandable that someone would rationalize persecuting them by saying, well, you know, you remember those other guys from centuries ago? Yeah, it's them. Yeah. Don't trust them. There are a couple other theories about groups that came through France and Spain as conquerors at one point or another, like the Saracens, Mm -hmm. Uh, like they're, again, remnants who perhaps have uh, switched over to Catholicism and now they they continue to live in the area. Their families do. Yeah. And, you know, they're bad news just because of that. Again, these are all possibilities. Mm. And maybe, Ben, it's a, a range of these. Like it's a combination of all of these things, of just people that look other. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Uh, like the – We'll get to the, uh, con- the conspiratorial angle of this, but there are more than you might think because obviously we're looking at a mainstream community that conspired to repress a very small minority, uh, which is odd because I think in the 1600s, the Kago were maybe 2% of the population. So never, never in large numbers. Um, although I did real remember some. Some other stuff I, I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you found this in your research. Uh, some more specificity about Kigo. So like okay. you, you and I said, they were described as fair skinned by some, as swarthy by others. Dark skinned. Dark skinned, uh, light skinned. The earlobes. Yes. That's the thing. That's what I wanted to mention. They, uh, supposedly lacked earlobes and were mis- magicians, sorcerers, had, uh, an infectious, terrible odor. They were always accused of smelling bad, and they gave off great heat. Here's a quote. When the south wind blew, their lips, jugular glands, and the duck foot mark under their left armpit all swelled. What? Yeah, so, uh, they, okay, so they are considered to be smelly, to have these strange physical uh, ailments. Mm-hmm. And that goes to one of their biggest rash, one of the biggest rationalizations for per- persecuting these people, which was that they are lepers and cretins. So I'm familiar with lepers. That would be, uh, several, I know that encompasses several different diseases sure. of the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot of it has to do with infectious disease that could be transmitted, mm-hmm. uh, easily if interacting with this person, right? And that would make sense. Uh, make sure these people aren't interacting with the everyday public as to not kill everyone in the village. Right. I mean, that, that makes sense. 
Yeah, so one of the prevailing beliefs among historians about the Kago is that leprosy was the essence of this phenomenon. People used to think that leprosy was inherited, right? Oh, wow. Okay. It was a, a poison of the generations in the blood. Uh, however, even after people knew that leprosy was not a, a purely inherited trait, you know, that could communicate between unrelated people, mm-hmm. uh, some authors considered the Kago to be a special case of hereditary lepers, uh, that the disease was just kind of concentrated in them. However, another writer said that maybe what happens, maybe the birth of the Kago when the records were appearing in the 10th century started when people who were already infected uh, with something and considered lepers banded together on the periphery of a town in solidarity uh, and to, yeah, to make their own, make their own village. Yeah. And that later, you know, their descendants, uh, were affected by the stigma of the disease, even though they didn't carry it. They just came from that crappy home situation. So the, the weird thing is though, that aside from, you know, these vestigial traits or these vestigial rules of, you know, don't touch stuff with your hands, don't go through the same door, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, people seem to interact. They seem to exist in the community. You know, if they were doing woodworking, you would still take a table from the person. Yeah. Somehow, somehow the wood was fine. <laughs> somehow the wood was fine. Yeah. Uh, also, we know that groups of Kago were proven not to have leprosy. In 1600, after decades of dispute, people complained of discrimination. Kago complained of uh, discrimination to Parliament, and they gave them a thorough medical examination. Mm -hmm. They examined 22 people, all carpenters or joiners, and the exams at this time were not not the uh, turn your head and cough inconveniences of the modern age these people had their bodies palpated their arms were bled uh, they applied uh, heated cups to them to check their circulation and the doctors came back with the results and they said well these are just ordinary people uh they're fine they're in uh, the quote is they're in all health in their body, exempt from all contagious maladies and without any disposition to those maladies requiring them to be separated from the company of other healthy people. So they blew it out of the water. Yeah, they didn't find any, quote, peculiar diseases. But leprosy at the time was not considered purely a f- specific physical ailment. In earlier years, it was more of a umbrella or catch-all description for possibly a spiritual thing. So your your body could be fine, but you might be morally or spiritually leprous. That's why they could go were also occasionally called white lepers, which is just a very unappealing name. Yeah, I dislike that. Well, could it simply be that they were discriminated against because they were poor? We know that the uh, state of the poor in France and Spain at the time was... Uh, the social position was very, very different. It was considered an affront to have to see the poor. 
Yeah, but then there are accounts, at least from that 1848 reference that I gave, mm. where the poor people, the peasants, are the ones who are um, pr- prosecuting yeah. the Kago. They're the most opposed. Yeah. So that's a chicken and egg thing. Was their poverty result of this dis- discrimination or was the discrimination result of the poverty? I tend to think the former, but you're right. And we see this in modern societies today, too. If you want people to be satisfied with their position in an unfair hierarchy, all you have to do is put uh, at least one more rung on the ladder below them. Yep. Give them someone to look down on and they will stop looking up to wonder what's happening at the top. That is unfortunate. And too true. Too true. Uh, it seems that later the rise of racially based accusations, like, oh, these swarthy more soldiers mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, that they came about after the decline of, uh, leprosy, after the decline of physical threat from disease, meaning that the racism happened afterwards to rationalize the pre-existing prejudice. Wow, man. You know, I, that's so crazy. Yeah. It's so disturbing. If it's not one thing, it's another. Well, what I've found, what I found is that the way a lot of these, uh, what these rumors that mm-hmm. we discussed earlier and all these things that the Kago were purportedly to be able to do and mm-hmm. smell like and all these things, a lot of it was handed down through songs. That were the, they called them party songs mm-hmm. that would be spread in a, probably a tavern where it's the, again, the peasants all drinking together. And this makes so much sense to me now, Ben, drinking together, mm-hmm. singing about the rung of the ladder that's below them, uh, to make themselves feel better. <laughs> I, I can totally see that now as Pierre in the tavern. Uh, wow, this, that is really disturbing. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. And here's, here's another thing though. Next question, right? We, we're probably never going to have an answer about what, where this group of people came from, where they actually came from and why they were originally persecuted. We just have those best guesses. Mm-hmm. And sadly, we are probably not going to find out because I know there's so many people in the audience now who are probably yelling at the speaker DNA, you guys mm-hmm. just do the DNA test. Fantastic point. If there were someone to do a DNA test on, you can read probably the most recent thing you can read about this disappearing group of people is an article in the independent uh, from about 2008, where one, uh, one woman from the French Pyrenees, Marie Pierre, huh? mm-hmm. Menet Belza, is talking about her ancestry. At the time, she was a 40 something mother of three and she was being billed as the last living Cago. Or at least the last known. The last one who will admit to being Cago. Mm-hmm. And they say it's a bad thing. She said it's still a bad thing in the mountains in 2008. Uh, the French are ashamed of what they did. The Kago are ashamed of what they were. And no one will confess that they are of Kago descent. So this means that, uh, this means that this entire concept 
whatever was based on is disappearing because now the sh- the conspiracy has shifted. It went from mainstream French communities conspiring to essentially make life hell and keep these people at the bottom of the social barrel to a conspiracy by those people's descendants, by the Kago descendants, to escape and erase their past, just like that guy in Gattaca, played by Ethan Hawke. Great movie. <laughs> thank you, man. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you, just, To Hawk. go back to... <laughs> To go back to um, Marie Pierre really fast. Yes. At the very end of that article, mm-hmm. she they're asking about her children because she has several children. Yeah. And the big thing she says is she's like, no, I can't show you pictures of my children because of the stigma. Mm-hmm. It remains mm-hmm. so much in this area today. You can't you can't even know what my children look at just in case. And she also says that Kigo, she's one of the people who says that Kigo are described as swarthy mm-hmm. or as darker skinned. Pestiferous. Yes. They called the pestiferous people, which has an unfortunate ring to it. And with this, we, uh, with this, we end our narrative of the Kigo, this, the shifting social conspiracy first of a group, uh, of a mainstream group to essentially enslave, socially uh, bind mm-hmm. a group, and then that group's collective effort to end itself. Yeah. It's a very successful effort to do so. But these are not the only vanishing people in the world. Uh, we know that there are several other examples, right? The Aromanians uh, and the Russians, uh, who are both mentioned in the article in The Independent, uh, the Aromanians, um, they date back to Roman colonization. They're spread across the southern Balkans, but they're believed to be almost extinct or their cultural identity and evidence of their culture lives on, uh, with some Grecian festivals. And then the, uh, the Rusians are, uh, they're around, uh, 1.2 million expected to or estimated to live in Europe. Over half of them are in the Ukraine. Uh, they're not recognized by Ukraine because of the communist regime of the 50s. And that's the time their church was also eradicated. Mm. But but they're responsible for a lot of those beautiful wooden churches that you can see in the area. One of the points here is that our species doesn't, you know, just lose memories doesn't just lose cities which we've covered doesn't just lose civilizations no it also loses entire cultures entire groups of people who who are alike by blood who are also alike uh by language and by custom you know then one of the other things we lose are uh entire animal species i know that's another podcast but yeah that's another podcast too uh and it's true unfortunately but it is also true that now, in the modern age, we have the ability to preserve some of this stuff. And we have the ability, uh, thanks to the rise of easily affordable recording technology, to preserve some piece of the past, some knowledge, some essence of the days and the people that came before. And that's why uh, I would suggest... 
this is just my opinion, but I would suggest to all of you out there listening to this, whether in 2016 or 2106, uh, don't hesitate to, if you have older family members or if you have someone older in your community and you think that that community is not long for this world, because it happens. Every civilization rises and falls. You can easily take a second to just interview them and record their answers. And it's something that you will like and, and your kids will like and on and on, on and on. And nobody has to be a cattle witcher. So with that being said, before we head out today, it's time for our shout out corner. We have a single shout out to give today. It is from redacted. That's uh, what I'm going to call that. Uh, and here it goes. I'm a military psychiatrist currently in residency training. So when you ask for stories from people who use mind altering drugs in the military, well, it's kind of my thing regarding drugs in general, all active duty personnel get randomly drug tested frequently. And unless you have very good medical reason to be on a drug, you're likely going to be dishonorably discharged. Yeah. We're going to continue reading just some excerpts from redacted's email, uh, which is fantastic. By the way, he says, or she says, regarding uppers, yes, some are still used, but to a substantially lesser degree than you might su- suspect. Uh, Provigil, uh, which is the brand name for Modafinil, uh, is a non-amphetamine stimulant vastly preferred over amphetamine derivatives. We still don't know exactly how it works, but it seems to simulate alpha brainwave activity while decreasing delta and theta waves, effectively simulating wakefulness. Regarding amphetamines, while ADHD is still probably underdiagnosed, chances are if you've made it through basic training, you don't need ADHD meds. Personally, I hate them. I've seen several sailors and Marines get kicked out of the service after getting caught using them to try and boost their performance. I've also seen several service members get tipped over into a frank psychosis that appears to have been triggered by amphetamine overdoses. It's scary, it's dangerous, and I keep my sailors as far away from this stuff as possible. And then about battlefield medications. All sorts of really crazy stuff goes down in a firefight. Sometimes you cannot afford to lose a rifleman no matter what the cause. We have combinations of common medicines that can keep a trigger puller in the fight for longer than nature would allow, but it's a last-ditch kind of move and deeply frowned upon by almost all medical professionals. That is fascinating, that that one in particular. Uh, he, he talks about nootropics, which may be something that you heard from the Joe Rogan podcast or somewhere else. That's how I heard about them. And the person writing this email says, I have personally cared for patients that have had substantially catastrophic reactions from trying to get a, quote, Bradley Cooper in limitless, unquote, state. And these people have crashed and burned on the way there. I strongly advise that patients avoid this type of supplement or medication. So uh, it finishes up talking about withdrawal. Uh, It said, in the vast majority of cases, morphine withdrawal cannot kill you. They say it's awful, it's painful, it's grotesque, but unlikely to be life-threatening. Nowhere near as dangerous as opiate overdose. Uh, And so it says, hope that helps. If you have any other questions about medicine, psychiatry, the military, particularly military medicine, I'd be happy to share what I can. Thanks so much for writing in, Redacted. We uh... And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, 
You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.